0: This is The Strategy Inside Everything. I'm Adam Pierno. All right, welcome back to another episode of The Strategy Inside Everything. We are going to take a left turn. Um, I guess we frequently take left turns on this show, so maybe you're not surprised. But today's guest is, fits right into our uh, lineup of guests. The wonderful Amber Nasland has agreed to make some time to chat with me. How are you
1: today? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me.
0: I'm really excited to, to chat with you in general, but especially on this topic. Uh, you have been, you're currently the senior content consultant uh, at LinkedIn. You're also the founder of Brass Tech Thinking. Um, you've been at Salesforce. You've been at all these organizations and people know you're thinking in the content and social strategy arenas and the business arena. Um, if you could catch people up on kind of your career and where, how you got to where you are now, and then we'll, we'll jump into what we're talking about this morning.
1: Yeah, this is always one of my favorite questions, the how did you get to where you are now? Because it's so bizarre. Like I'm, 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 (laughs) well, I'm I'm a total, like many people in our industry, I'm I'm an accidental marketer. Uh, I came to marketing by way of nonprofits. I was a music major in college and I was working on the business side of classical music. So I was working in symphony orchestras and music conservatories and doing nonprofit fundraising, which led me weirdly into the corporate marketing world. I kind of got dragged kicking and screaming by somebody I used to work with. And really the rest was history. So I'm not a formally trained marketer. I'm a like one who learned it in the trenches. Um, But I fell in love with it because it's very, it's a really interesting mix of right brain and left brain stuff. And it's always changing and it's, you're just never bored. So, um, and I've spent the last, I think, I guess it's about 12 years now, mostly in technology. Uh, so I, I've always loved tech. I grew up with tech nerds. My dad was a an MIS guy before they called IT, um, IT, they called it oh, Management be- Information Systems. So yeah, before
0: was- it matured into IT.
1: Exactly. So he was a mainframe guy and I grew up like trudging around the mainframe room with my dad. And so oh, I was cool. always into like nerdy things. Um, so it's been a really kind of a fun intersection for me to kind of couple my love for tech with my love for marketing And yeah, so now I'm at LinkedIn and my job there is to I advise companies. Basically, I consult with them to help their content programs. I jokingly say I help their content programs suck less. <laughs> um, and, <laughs> do they and, like, do they like that? They do. I it usually get a I usually gets a laugh because most people are self aware enough to realize that at, like everybody's content probably needs improvement. It's nobody
0: place. nobody feels like their content is as good as it could be,
1: right? So they and they come to me knowing that, right? They're like they're looking for guidance. So I always try to break the ice a little bit, being like, it's okay if it sucks. We'll make it suck less. So anyway, um, it's a fun gig. I really enjoy what I do, um, but you know, I do a lot of other random stuff, which is how I think we, you and I, connected. And I'm I'm verbose on Twitter, so that's what happens.
0: There's a lot of tweets coming uh, between the two of us. We're probably using most of Twitter's bandwidth.
1: Yeah, well, I'm like I'm old school Twitter. I was like 2007 Twitter. So Me too. I, I think I've, I think right around then. Yeah, so I'm like I, I still use it like a random thoughts platform. <laughs> so I like. Sorry, all the people that follow me on Twitter. But that's- How
0: often do you apologize? I, I, sometimes I'm like, hey, I'm sorry, I talked about my book. Like, I'm sorry, I just t- tweeted this thing that I was thinking about at lunch.
1: You know, I think I used to apologize more. <laughs> I like, I, I think I'm old enough now where I just don't have that many Fs to give anymore. I'm just like, whatever. The unfollow button's over there if you yeah. need it. Like, you,
0: you can make your choices.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I just kind of, I just roll for it. I'm, I'm good.
0: And s- recently you posted that you are working on something a little bit different. And I, I saw that. I don't know if I saw it live or I saw it later as a retweet or something else, but um, it got my attention. You want to, you want to tell people what uh, you posted there?
1: Yeah. Well, the, the genesis of this conversation was because I talked publicly about the fact that I'm working on a novel, which I even saying it out loud, I'm like, Oh, that feels so strange. Cause I, You know, I I I'm a nonfiction author. I'm a published author in the nonfiction world. And so the idea of being a writer is something that I'm very comfortable with. But I'm I've been a nonfiction writer. Like so much of my writing experience has been business oriented. Me too. So to think of myself as a fiction author and put myself in the context of like, I would like to be a novelist feels like a five-year-old, you know, being like, I would like to write a book someday. Um, but I have this story idea and it's one that has like when it hit me, it has not left me alone. Like it's the kind of thing where I wake up thinking about it. It's like in my brain when I fall asleep, I, I run all over the place and it, it just, it's like a splinter in my brain. So yeah, like, it's I just, ha- it's hanging. Yeah, it's just there. So I feel like I need to write it and I don't know if it's going to be any good, but I, I'm really in love with the idea. So I don't know, it, it's really hard because it's like, it's such a shift in thinking and to let myself write from a creative messy place versus the efficiency I'm used to writing as a business writer. Yeah. It's like I'm used to the first draft being close to done. You know, I write efficiently, I write tightly, I write with <laughs> clarity <laughs> and creative writing is nothing like that whatsoever. So I am not just outside my comfort zone but I'm like in another dimension. Uh, well, this is, the, you're comfort.
0: getting to exactly why I thought I wanted to talk to you about this topic. So mm-hmm. perfect, because I know you wrote now revolution. Um, I know you've contributed tons of writing, uh, which uh, people Googling your name, if they don't already know, will be able to find pretty easily. A lot of it is on brass tack thinking um, website, but the process that one gets to the efficiency that you get to when you've, once you've written a book, your, your mind and your approach to writing is a lot different. And the ability to say like, Oh, I need to get from this many words to this many words by lunchtime, because the clock 's ticking, and after lunch, I have the next thing to do right is so different from fiction and sort of inventing as you 're writing yes. and maybe you 're not exactly sure how far 100%. along how far along are you in the book? Are you far enough along that you 've learned any lessons
1: uh, well i've learned a lot of lessons that I, I, and i 'm not super far in terms of writing the book itself but i'm i'm fairly deep into constructing, you know, the story and the world and the characters and all the stuff around that. So, um, the funny thing is when we wrote the now revolution, I, poor Jay, I owe Jay Bear so many apologies over the years because we all (laughs) do. So if you're listening, Jay, I love you. Thank you. Um, but he is like a machine. The man would sit down and write 1500 words a day, every day for so many weeks to hit our deadlines. Um, because we needed X number of words, like you said, by a certain time. And I don't write that way. I, even in my freelance writing work, I still can't just like, today's a thousand word day. And I bang out a thousand words. I write in spurts. So I like, I'll sit down and I, Jay would write 1500 words a day. I would wait until two days before our deadline and vomit out 15,000. And he, that was like mind numbing to him. Um, but for me, that is just kind of how it works. Once I get in the groove, the words just come and this, but the creative writing side of this is not working that way at all. So I've got like, there are times where I am staring at a blank screen for longer than I care to admit, trying to find any words at all. It's painful. Um, There are times where I write three sentences and spend the next three hours tweaking those three sentences. Um, So what I'm finding is I have to learn to what I've termed it as take the governor off and stop trying to edit my writing as I'm writing it and stop trying to fill in gaps in the story. Like I'll let myself sort of write for a while and then like I don't know what happens next. And if I don't know what happens next, it stops my writing in, in its tracks. And one of my friends, um, Chris Hutchins, who is a, sort of my my sounding board for a lot of this writing stuff, cause he's a, he's a fiction author and a very accomplished one. And I'm just like, I don't know how to get past this part. And he said, you just put in like an old journalist trick as you put in TK, meaning this is parts to come. I don't know what goes here, but I'm just gonna put a placeholder and then plow right on through to the next part that feels so messy to me because my brain doesn't work that way, so. When
0: when you write nonfiction, are you a linear writer? Are you starting with the introduction and then you're writing 15,000 words in order, you know, in in draft, obviously you edit, but you don't jump chapters and move back and forth.
1: Not usually, I'm pretty, from a, from a, like when we wrote The Now Revolution, I worked from a pretty clear outline and I wrote in, in order. So it's like I wrote this part then this part because ha- there's a logical flow of it to me. Like this idea leads to this idea, leads to this idea. And obviously, like novel writing doesn't work that way. And sometimes you tell multiple stories at once and storylines thread into each other. And so it's a different set of muscles for me Um, which I'm both terrified by and really enjoying because it's just a totally different way of using my writer brain Mm -hmm. that is, I'm surprising myself a little bit with my ability to actually sit down and let the character kind of drag me through the story. Like being willing to sit down at the page and like, I don't know where this story is going, but I'm going to let her lead me there. And that's been fun because it's like, oh, Okay, as I'm typing along, I'm like, I didn't see that coming, but I guess that's where this wants to go. Isn't that an amazing
0: feeling when you get to that point and you say, oh, I guess she's going over here now.
1: Exactly. What's she going to do after that? Right, and I'm loving (laughs) the experience of having the story sort of unfold to me as I'm writing through the perspective of these characters. So that part's really fun. It's also really frustrating when, like I said, you hit a wall, and you're like, I don't know where this goes from here. So I get a little wrapped around the axle sitting with my notebook Uh, and I'm one of these weirdos that like, when I know what I want to write, I have to type it. When I'm trying to concept develop, I have to write it like by hand. Oh really? So yeah, there's a lot of this book that is in long form handwriting in notebooks because I, there's something about the way I have to brainstorm um when ideas are loose, they need to be, I need to physically write them down. And then once I have a more cohesive idea of where I'm going, then I turn to the keyboard to kind of put it in some semblance of order. But I can't do either in other for, the other format, if that makes any sense. Does like, it have to some. appear
0: in the notebook before it makes it to the typewriter? Or are you allowed to be organic while you're typing once once you know roughly where the where the idea is grounded? Yeah,
1: I can definitely be organic as I'm typing, but I need some in the notebook, I need some directional signals that are telling me kind of where I'm going with things a little bit. Um, yeah. Like a lot of the world building that I've been doing around this, it has been done in my notebook. And I needed at least in some ways, like the rough sketch of what I was dealing with, because I needed to, if, if you buy the, if you haven't watched Neil um, Gaiman's masterclass, like it's worth the cost of admission just, to, just for that. Um, it unlocked a whole bunch of things in my head, but he talks about this idea of like, you know, blurry things and you need to know the rules of the world, but you don't necessarily need to tell them all in the book. So it's like, I need to know how this world operates and and a little bit about the characters and their motivations and things. Then I can turn and write and allow some of the detail to get filled in that way. But for whatever reason, I need that framework in my head of at least sort of understanding where I'm starting from.
0: Is that typical to your nonfiction writing that you, is that the equivalent of creating the outline of, I need the logic, the the scaffolding that you create for a non-business argument where you're saying, okay, I need to start here. I need to explain this to prove that, to make this case. Is it using the notebook and the world building to to give yourself the the net that you need to to go out on the wire there?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think that's a really good way of putting it. I mean, when I write nonfiction or... Uh, business-oriented stuff, I usually know what I want the audience to take away from that, right? It's like, I, this is, I'm writing for a purpose, so I'm trying to get you to hear these lessons or learn these things. So there's a very clear and logical flow of that to me. It's like, here's how I introduce the idea, here's how I back up the idea, and here's how I conclude the idea. Yeah, right. That's not how this works <laughs> in a in a fictional universe. But I do feel like my brain needs a little bit of that rough structure just if nothing else is a comfort mechanism for me to be (laughs) like right it grounds me in like right this is where I am this is what I'm doing this is where I am this is what I'm doing and I don't know if that's like a rookie crutch because I'm so new at this that I need that something to hold on to um but you know the more I talk to um novelists and fiction writers that I know personally they're like yeah no like everybody's process is a little different and if it works for you go with it like there's no rules here so is the
0: is the network of people that you're turning to for guidance or to uh, you know to bounce ideas off of is it a different network than you would use for writing the now revolution or for writing a, a non-fiction piece
1: so different like Lightyear is different I, I have a whole list of book Twitter, like people I call, like, fiction book Twitter mm-hmm. of people that I follow, um, some of whom are personal friends, um, like I mentioned, Chris, um, and others who are, I would say, online acquaintances, like my friend Chuck Wendig, who's a very um, prolific and successful fiction author, and then there's just lots of people who I've never met, but I know, like, I know of them, um, authors that are very open on Twitter about their process and how they work. So I observe Mm -hmm. a lot and they're a totally different set of people. So it helps me get out of my bubble of the kind of author slash speaker slash consultant world that, you know, we inhabit as marketing nerds (laughs) because it, it is a, it's a totally different feel like the culture is different. The way people approach it is different um, one of my best girlfriends just published her very first uh, romance novel. Um, so it's been fun to kind of learn through watching her process and how she operates. And she's always saying like, you shouldn't learn from me because I'm a rookie. I'm like, no, that's exactly why I need to learn from you because right. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm more rookie than you are.
0: Yeah. You're that this much far ahead of me. I can see where I can see down the line to where you are. It's not so far. It's not like trying to catch up to Stephen King.
1: It, exactly. And it it can be daunting to, um, like I'm, I'm rereading a couple of Neil Gaiman's books that are my favorites just to sort of almost dissect the writing itself and be like, oh, this is where he did that. Or here's where he did this thing. And here's how he wove that into this plot. And so it's more of like sentence diagramming but with books. You know, it's like looking at the mechanics of it.
0: Are you finding yourself hyper aware in everything that you read? Or are you, are you intentionally reading his work for that reason? Or are you I just un- incapable of not doing that now?
1: Yeah, no, I, I am I am actually very capable. I'm really good at escapism. Uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> that's, a like, handy, would, that's a handy yeah, tool right now. I would actually be really, like I would be a really good um, rich housewife to that just like, <laughs> sit and have no responsibilities whatsoever and like just read trash romance for, I, I would be amazing at that. Um, so I actually am fully capable of like picking up a book and disappearing into it and not thinking about it from a... A writing perspective, which yeah. I think is helpful. Uh, I can still, I can do that. But I've actually, it's the opposite. I, 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 I'm I so detached from that, that I've had to re-pick up some books and sit down and look at them through the lens of the writing itself and the, like how the book unfolds and how the story is put together. Because I'm so unaware of that sometimes when I read, because um, I find fiction to me is an escape. So it's very. I'm very immersed in it and I don't think of it mechanically. I think of it creatively.
0: That's interesting. Do you think now that you're starting to take those books apart, they're books that you've already read once, you know, they're books you consider books you love. Mm-hmm. Do you consider part of the construction the reason that you love them now that you've started analyzing it?
1: That's an interesting question. Um, I definitely think I'm surfacing preferences like my own types of preferences for the stories that grab me and the ones that I really enjoy are paced a certain way um are there's a lot for my brain to dig into so in other words it's not just like a single linear plot like there's a lot of times there's like like dovetailing storylines or very like complex characters where you um You learn things, like you're learning the character as they're learning themselves. So Mm -hmm. stuff like that for me, I'm starting to realize is like, oh, right, this is kind of a a common theme amongst a bunch of things that I really enjoy. Um, And I also, I mean, like everybody, I have tastes for style. So there's writing styles that I really gravitate toward. Um, If something gets too prosaic and flowery, I get lost in it. So it's like, I love Tolkien, but there's times where I'm like, okay, we can skip these seven pages describing the meadow that they're walking right i don't need 109
0: pages of lineage of dwarves
1: oh yeah and you're just i don't need that
0: It's not helpful
1: the stories but it can get a bit much for me which is why i think sometimes some of like classic literature has always i've tried to read war and peace at least 10 times and I never get past the first like 25 pages. It's just, it, it. It's I have a really hard time with it.
0: It's just too, it's more dense than your brain wants to wade through. And it,
1: on the, but on the other hand, like I can sit and rip through Tom Clancy novels like nobody's business. And those things get like so technical sometimes on like the specs of the submarine. And I'm like, why do I enjoy this? And why is, <laughs> you know, Hawthorne really hard for me? But I don't know. I mean, I guess we could dismantle that a lot, but I, I there's definitely commonalities, I think, in the things that I gravitate toward. And I'm I'm actually curious to see how that will manifest in the voice I develop as a fiction writer. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, is that am I gonna be too am I trying too hard to emulate other people's styles? Is my own style going to kind of surface out of that? And I don't know, TBD. I'll let you know. <laughs> are you
0: are you aware of that as you're writing? Are you are you feeling that oh this that that sentence or this Thing that I'm rereading that I wrote feels a little bit familiar to X style or Y style, or so far not you're not having experienced that.
1: No, I haven't. I like I I definitely don't sit down and be like, wow, I sound like Suzanne Collins here, or wow, I sound like you know John Grisham here. I don't. Again, I don't think I'm as aware of those things as maybe I I should be. What I do notice, however, is when I start to sound too much like Now Revolution Amber when I'm like getting almost a little bit too efficient with uh, my words and my writing and treating it like some kind of, you know, a white paper. <laughs> <opposed> <laughs> <to> a
0: novel. <laughs> All of a sudden there's bullet points. There's a chart. <laughs> You're, You're like, what point is this? Here, yeah.
1: Right. So I do catch myself at times. Um, again, that's kind of like turning off the inline editing in my own brain of stopping, trying to write, for efficiency and instead just write for creativity and allow those things to organically happen, realizing that that's what editing is for, you know, let it be messy, let it be terrible, let it be all over the place. And, you know, you go back and clean that up later. That is a very hard set of muscles for me to flex because it's not one I use very often.
0: And you, when you wrote nonfiction, when you wrote The Now Revolution, you wrote from a very structured outline. And I know you mentioned world building, you mentioned the notebook, but it also sounds like you're giving yourself the freedom to discover the story as you go. How much much outline are you relying on and how much flexibility are you giving yourself to recreate and destroy the outline?
1: That's a good question. Um, I wouldn't even call it so much an outline. I have a document that I call, that is like my backstory document. So it gives me sort of like the history of the world that I'm writing in, some of like the... I, I don't want to say the rules, but you know, like the, the structure of it and what happened and a little bit about the, the characters and main groups of characters and some of the like history and legacy that is part of this story. That's about as tight as I've gotten. Mm-hmm. I actually have no idea. I, I, I have in my head a couple of like major events that happened throughout the book. That's all I've got so far. And like, that's why I describe it as my character sort of dragging me through the story with her as we, as I write, because I don't know where this is leading yet. I actually don't have a sense of how I want this story to end. I don't know yet whether I think it's a, a one book, whether it's multiple books, whether I don't know yet. So I would say that it's about as, as loose as I am comfortable with it being, yeah. um, you know, there's so much that's just not defined yet. And I think it's just the nature of the beast, but I, that's also, I think, what fuels sometimes my imposter syndrome and my tendency to sit and be, have total writer's block. Cause I'm like, it's so open-ended that I don't know where this is going. Um, so I'm having to get comfortable with writing anyway, like writing into the void and just being like, I don't know where this is going. Who cares? I might delete these 30,000 words later. I have no idea. <laughs> um, and letting myself do that is actually, it turns out really, really hard for me. Um, but I, I don't know. I'm learning, I guess. I like Well, fire that, by
0: fire. that's a question, too, because when you're writing business uh, books and business writing, nonfiction in general, for a reason, mm-hmm. there's, okay, this is the reason. Somebody's asked me to write this. I'm writing this to prove this point. And when it comes to fiction, it's like, well, I could spend months writing this thing. And then I have a Google Doc full of, 80,000 words, what do I do with it? Right. You know, there's no, there's no there. There's no, right. you know, necessarily right. uh, for, for people like us, there's not some publisher that's waiting, pacing around calling you. Where's your draft?
1: That'd be amazing. Not, but if any <laughs> publishers out there would like to do that to me, you're totally welcome to call me. Uh, but no, there is not one of those.
0: So how did you, did, did you wrestle with that when you were starting the process? Did you w- myself, I remember thinking like, well, I, I could write this, but then what would I, what's the point of that? And oh, sort of course. using that as an, as an excuse, like one of the ten thousand excuses was, well, what, what would be the point of that?
1: Oh yeah, I mean, a hundred percent. We can we can have a support group on this one because I, like, <laughs> I, I mean, this book this book idea has been in my brain for two years, maybe longer, and I've only just now really committed to like, what the hell, I'm going to write it anyway. Mm. Um, but I've had a lot of those like to what end, and especially like pre, when the world was melting, like all this weirdness that we're living in now. Um, Before that, my day-to-day life was incredibly demanding. Like I have a full-time job that I, I travel. I'm a single parent of a teenager. Like I have a house, I have dogs, I have a horse. Um, so I have this whole life that it was commanding so much of my time. So there was a lot of me that was like, I can't afford quote unquote, you know, to spend time on this creative endeavor that doesn't really seem to have a point other than my own enjoyment. Yeah. It's a self-indulgent would, indulgent at that point. Yeah, Exactly. That's exactly the word I use. It's like, it feels really self-indulgent for me to be like, I'm going to work on my novel today that nobody wants. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> They
0: just, <laughs> just don't know they want it yet.
1: Well, right. So um, I, I, But I have kind of, I mean, obviously we're all like at home and I have more time on my hands. So I figured if I can't use that as a, at least a mechanic to get myself off the starting block a little bit, I feel like I'll regret it. And also in this process, what's interesting about being at home and having the rhythm of my life change so much is realizing that I want space in my world for these kinds of things. Like it feels good to lean into yes. something more creative and artistic. I mean, I'm a, I'm a musician, so it's like, I, I find time to play music. Why is it any different for me to sit and find time to write words? Um, but again, because words have been my job for so long, it's different to flip the switch from like job words to fun words. Yes. Um, so I'm still working on that part, but... I'm realizing that I'm getting better at it not feeling so self-indulgent-ish.
0: You're forgiving sometimes. yourself for for doing the the creative thing that makes you feel good.
1: Sometimes. Yeah. Uh, you know, sometimes <laughs> I'm still like there tapping away my keyboard being like, wow, well, I should really probably go empty the dishwasher or something more <laughs> practical. But um, I am giving myself permission to spend some time with this because I feel like it's good for my soul. So I'm just going yeah.
0: to do it. Yeah, amen. So, are, is it has it turned back and uh, changed your approach to writing nonfiction? Have you noticed any changes? It's maybe too early in the in the process for that.
1: Uh, it is a, a little, but I I guess I think what has for sure happened in this process is I'm getting a little bit less precious about my. Work related writing and allowing, truly allowing, like the first drafts of things to be sucky and not being so, uh, I don't know, so perfectionistic about the words that come out of my face when I'm talking about work stuff. Like, I I, I have to put together a presentation for uh, an upcoming conference, and normally that is a very structured process. Like, I have a process that I usually go through to build a presentation, and it's been the same way for as long as I can imagine. Um, but I'm allowing myself to have a little bit more creative liberty with that this time around, which also feels good because it's like taking the shackles off my own work a little. Um, I think I'm learning from my creative self that maybe my business stuff doesn't have to be as rigid and structured as I've had it be in the past.
0: Is that rigid in process or rigid in output or?
1: Uh, more process than anything. You know, I think you, you get. I, I don't know if this, you've had this experience, but I think when you've been doing this stuff as long as we've been doing it, you have sort of processes that you build and refine over the years and you rely on to help you get stuff done. So it's like as a freelancer, somebody comes to me um, and they need a, a white paper or an ebook. Like I have a process for outlining. I have a process for researching. I have a process for starting that document And that all feels very kind of buttoned up now. And similarly, like I said, you know, I have a process for building my presentations and it's just, I am looking at it a little bit more critically now and being like, do I really have to be that? Like, am, am I getting a little bit too rote about it? Like maybe there's room in here for me to, to give myself a little bit more elbow room to explore different ideas. So I'm, I'm approaching this next presentation a little bit differently a little bit like more loosey-goosey which again feels weird to me yeah but i i'm hopeful will actually maybe infuse a little bit of creativity into it that i've not let myself necessarily do in the past
0: oh that'll be interesting to see how that how that manifests
1: yeah I'm like it's tbd i'll let you know <laughs> <laughs> we'll find out <laughs> yeah. when
0: you get to a third of the way through it and you're like oh crap that it's old surreal. process <laughs> that old <laughs> process was really good now like, i get what? it
1: Maybe that's, I mean, that, that's a very legitimate thing. Like maybe I will learn that my processes for this stuff are actually pretty okay. And, and that can be validating in its own right. So I don't know. I'm open to that.
0: Um, I want to circle back to something that you talked about uh, a little while earlier about <laughs> purpose. When you write nonfiction, you're writing with a known purpose. You you don't discover that halfway through you, right. you have a point you're making and you're constructing the piece to make that point and serve right. that purpose are you have you identified a purpose in this work yet in the either either in the story or in the what you want readers eventually to take away from it
1: that's such a good question and it's actually one that um, came up in the the game and masterclass too. He's like the, what all of fiction and all stories are sort of reflections of ourselves and what we want the world to know somehow. Um, so I don't know that there's like I don't know if it's like deep purpose like with a capital P, but there are for sure emerging like the the main I don't know, the, the message, the theme, the, the, the fable, you know, whatever, like the moral of the story. Yeah. I I definitely think that there's going to be some of that in here. Um, And I've actually waffled a little bit around what that is. And I, what I've been spending a lot of time on recently is actually that, like, what is my character, my main character, what is her driving force and that motivation? And ultimately when I'm telling this story, if, you ha- if I had to sum it up, you know, what would be the, the message I want the world to hear about this book? I don't know if I know what it is yet. And I think that's kind of my next Everest for this, is really codifying that in a way I feel good about. Because it's there, but it's really fuzzy still. Um, so I got to spend some time.
0: Yeah. I mean, I wonder in all the the literature that I've read and as a discipline, as a study you know in in college and time in book clubs and things mm-hmm. where people are going back and really working through what the text was meant to communicate right it's overwhelming sometimes when you're writing your own thing and you're like i don't know i'm just writing a story about this woman who is doing this thing like right. i don't i don't i didn't write in some underlying theme that was meant to symbolize the french revolution and Right. I don't have I don't have all this built baked into it. I wonder. I think about some of those authors that we we discuss and we say clearly, right? They were, they were trying to tell you this. and You're like, I wonder if he was just you know eating pizza.
1: It's how writing. it's a story. <laughs> and you're like, oh, it happened to be a treatise on climate change. Didn't right. know that was coming.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's
1: sort of like I mean, the Chronicles of Narnia are very allegorical and, and sure like biblical references and stuff. And it's like, was that purposeful? Did he structure it that way? Or did, did we make those associations? I, like, I don't know. Did anybody ask CS Lewis whether that was his thing? But um, somebody out there I'm sure knows the answer to that. Uh, but for me, I think there's, I don't know how to like the right way to describe this, but there is a, there is a spirit in this book that I feel like in the story that I'm trying to tell, but there's definitely some kind of undercurrent pushing me to tell this story. So I know that in there is some kind of thematic idea. I just haven't crystallized it in words yet because there's mm-hmm. like, you know, my, my main character is your kind of proverbial, a little bit of a scrappy underdog who doesn't really realize her own potential. And in that way it's a little bit autobiographical, I guess, but um And there are, you know, there's like the representative, the good guys and the bad guys. And then like the bad guys you think are bad guys, but maybe probably turn out to be pretty okay. Good guys. And (laughs) don't give it away. Don't spoil it. I'm not, but like there's, there's those things. And so there's obviously some kind of like central conflict that I'm hoping will resolve itself. And I think in, in story, good conflict and good conflict resolution usually carries with it some kind of lesson or learning or message or something. Um, so I think that will happen kind of organically as I pursue where this story is taking me, but it's there, I just don't, I don't, I don't quite know what it is yet.
0: <laughs> we'll find out. We <laughs> yeah. will find out as you press on and, and uh, increase word count.
1: Yeah, well see, hey publishers, if you want to know what happens in this story, you Absolutely should buy right. my manuscript. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Anybody who's interested, we're we're yeah, just about right. to I'm just about to ask Amber where you can find her online. So you'll oh, you'll get God. your answer here. Thank okay. you. This was awesome. Thank you so much. This was uh actually very timely as I'm also writing some fiction for the first time. So it was helpful to uh hear what you're going through and how you're approaching it
1: well i'm excited to hear more about your book you and i have to like back channel push each other to keep doing this okay i so, think like,
0: I'm, I'm making some good i'm making some good progress so rookie we'll,
1: authors unite i exactly. love exactly
0: this there. might be my first and last entry into the into the fiction but
1: me too but hey man let's do it i'm with yeah.
0: you <laughs> the key is to finish it
1: yeah exactly finish
0: a draft that feels like a milestone if anything else happens that'll be gravy
1: right totally icing on the cake
0: Thank you so much for making time. I re- This was awesome. I'm, I'm really glad that uh, we were able to connect.
1: Yeah, me too. Thanks so much for inviting me. I really enjoyed our chat.
0: Where can people find you online?
1: Uh, the main places, I am a Twitter fiend. So you can find me on Twitter at, at Amber Cadabra. You can, of course, find me on LinkedIn because I think I'd you know, get fired if I didn't promote my own LinkedIn profile. <laughs> um, and then my personal website is at brasshackthinking.com, where I've been pretty neglectful about writing lately, but you can find a lot of my stuff there.
0: Oh, I don't think you've been neglectful. I think you've, you've been writing.
1: Busy with other things.
0: <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So you yeah. don't say it that way. Don't punish like yourself. Your, I like
1: your positivity, Adam. Thanks. <laughs> I'm trying.
0: I'm trying to bring it. I like it. All right. This was awesome. Thank you very much.
1: You're welcome. Thank you so much.
0: strategy inside everything is produced by me adam Pierno. if you liked what you heard please leave a review wherever you listen to your podcast really helps if someone shared this with you and you're just not sure where you could find it you can go to specific.substack.com and sign up there to get episodes before everybody else for more information about me adam Pierno, you can go to adampierno.com. there's information about my books my speaking and my strategy work have an idea for a guest? Send it my way. Just go to com, and you'll find a form there that'll help you connect. Thanks for listening.